0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Cowley. Our guest this week is Illinois 17th District Representative, Sherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Light continues with Congresswoman Sherry Bustos next. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Serving in her third term of the U.S. Congress, Sherry Bustos has been selected to serve on the House-Senate Conference Committee on the 2018 Farm Bill. The Illinois Democrat says she's honored to serve on the committee and recognizes the many challenges facing farmers and rural America.
1: This is a pivotal moment for the agricultural economy. And so to be able to serve on the conference committee, have a seat at the table to negotiate the final uh, five-year farm bill, I I'm glad, I'm, glad I, I'm in this position, but you know, let's look at uh, what everybody's facing. We've got low commodity prices. In fact, the, the lowest net farm income in, in more than the last decade. We've got problems with the renewable fuel standard. We've got these big oil refineries who have not been held accountable. They've been given a free pass when it comes to RFS and how that's hurting our corn and our soybean farmers. And we've got this trade war that has the potential to do grave damage if if things don't get fixed pretty quickly for our markets and our market share abroad and then you know of course our rural communities are facing um, new and increasing challenges we have an opioid crisis we've got problems in in the house version of the farm bill that actually zeros out spending in rural development so i i see the farm bill as an opportunity to make sure that we are doing everything we can to support our family farmers and and give them the certainty that they certainly need right now.
0: Well, you sit on the House Agriculture Committee, you've been uh, appointed from another arena, from uh, transportation and from infrastructure. What role does that play in this policy, and what are the items that your side of the aisle watching closely during the discussion?
1: Well, I mean, it it gives me a seat at the table. The, The way the appointments to the conference committee work is there are appointees out of the Ag Committee on which I serve. And then each of the ranking members on other committees in the U.S. House of Representatives have one slot as well. And the ranking member on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee gave me his slot uh, to make sure that I had a seat at the table. I'm in my third term in Congress, so my seniority is not high enough to have gotten just a flat-out Ag Committee assignment. My role on the Conference Committee will be no different Than if I had been appointed straight from the ag committee, I've got a, I've got a voice. I have a seat at the table. Um, I'll be able to fight for the things that our, our family farmers want me to make sure that I I have a voice in. And so, so the, the fact that I'm, I'm appointed to the conference. Through a somewhat of a non-traditional way doesn't, doesn't matter one way or
0: another. This past week, the majority leader in the Senate, uh, Mr. McConnell from Kentucky suggested that he would like to have a final bill to present to both chambers shortly after the Labor Day break. Now history says this is a weeks or a months process of combining, uh, of co-joining the two different pieces of legislation. Is that too aggressive a schedule or is that what's needed in order to get the bill done on time?
1: Well, it's hard for me to tell whether we'll be able to meet that deadline, and we, we know that the current five year farm bill expires at the end of September, so we know the time is that time is ticking. And um, I appreciate the fact that he understands there's a sense sense of urgency here. You know in the in the month of August, I'll be doing what I call a twenty first century heartland tour, and I'll be meeting with our, our family farmers and folks in the uh, who play into the AG economy all over the seventeenth congressional district of Illinois. And you know, there's just grave concerns. We're, we're nearing um, harvest season, and we know that our, you know, folks who are growing beans are—it's costing them more to grow them than what they'll get on the market. And so, um, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, Mr. McConnell uh, has this aggressive timeline. I guess if you look at what's happened over the last year, for instance, the, the farm bill out of the House was really a dysfunctional process. Um, I hate to say that because I've always bragged about what a uh, great bipartisan committee I happen to sit on in the Ag Committee. But what ended up happening is this, you know, this very complex bill was negotiated um, unilaterally, and that was just on one side of the aisle. Democrats were brought in at the the tail end of it just long enough where we could barely have the time to read it and then have to cast our vote in, in committee. And it's, it's certainly not the way that people back home expect us to to get their work done. I, th- I think the expectation is that Democrats and Republicans work together. We negotiate uh, and um, we come up with the best uh, product that we possibly can. You know, if you look at the what happened politically in committee, um, not really a good sign. But um, I hope that we can rise above it. Democrats and Republicans work together and come up with a good final product.
0: There was a partisan divide, obviously, in the committee, as you have suggested, and one of the biggest uh, divisions was over that of work requirements for SNAP benefits. Last week we talked with fellow congressman from Illinois, Rodney Davis, and he suggested that there are more people receiving SNAP benefits now than when unemployment was twice as high or even higher. What was the real divide over work requirements for SNAP benefits? Did you see any better way forward with the Senate language than with the House?
1: yeah there there are current requirements obviously to be eligible for the nutrition program, and the Senate version keeps in those requirements, and there are some work requirements associated with that. Keep in mind, the Senate version passed by almost ninety votes. There were only eleven senators who voted against that, so they came together over there and understood that this is um the the nutrition program has anti-fraud elements in it, and that is, is uh, in the Senate version. This House version, the, the problem that I think so many people had with it is that it knocks 2 million people off of the uh, nutrition program. It affects the school lunch program. And we've actually got 10 pilot programs that are going on throughout the country that take a look at various requirements associated with being eligible for the nutrition program. Those have not played out. They were instituted in the last Farm Bill. We've got, uh, in some cases, another year or two uh, to see how those pilot programs are working. But, you know, the object of a pilot program is let's see what works, let's see what doesn't. And when there are programs that work, let's institute those. So I think all we're saying is that let's do what makes sense. We've got anti-fraud programs built into the Senate version. The, the House version, we think, does harm to, to people who uh, need help. And I thought that's the biggest problem that we have with
0: us. The majority suggests that no one's going to lose benefits. And this is really more about job training and investing in people and getting people back to work.
1: We have all kinds of job training programs if uh, if the uh, Trump administration chooses to fund those. You know, it, it is kind of the buzzword of the day. We're talking about apprenticeships all over. We have jobs now. The unemployment rate is in good shape. But way too often we have people who do not qualify for those jobs. So um, I don't think it should be the farm bill that pays for apprenticeship programs and job training. And, you know, I got on the phone um, as soon as this was proposed in the House version with the folks who administer the nutrition program in the state of Illinois. They told me at that time that the administrative hurdles and the fact that there would be so many people thrust into these so-called work requirements that they wouldn't be ready to accommodate them. So that's the reality of this. What I I would say is let's let the pilot programs fly out, let's see what's working, and then we can take a look at associating those in a way that makes sense for people who hopefully can get back to work and um, make sure that they have childcare for their kids and make sure that we don't have families who are going to bed hungry.
0: If the House bill were enacted, how would those work requirements affect your district?
1: I don't have those specific numbers. I, I know that uh, nationwide, uh, the the numbers that have been provided is that there would be two million people who would uh, not receive uh, food benefits that actually need them. And I, th- I think it's important to keep in mind for your listeners that the nutrition program. Um, many of the recipients are seniors, their children, disabled folks, veterans, and not to mention that it, it is our farmers and our producers that grow the product and produce the products that go. Uh, through the nutrition program as well but there's very little fraud and and through many many hearings that we've had over the last almost two years now um, I think that was displayed very prominently that the fraud levels as part of SNAP is very very low.
0: Congresswoman looking then at the farm programs overall the house language would be a little more liberal in allowing more people to receive farm program payments. On the senate side that it looks like that those would be tightened and perhaps the caps actually lowered. How would you see a compromise between the two uh, pieces of legislation?
1: Well, again, I'll be one member sitting around the table. I'll be one voice. You know, the, the idea here is that we're going to have to compromise. Uh, we know that our our family farmers are going through tough economic times. I want to make sure that we come out with a product that will be the most beneficial to um, making sure that farmers can be successful, not just for, you know, today, but over the next five years. Um, There are a lot of differences, and um, you've gone through some of them already. Um, If you want to talk about some of the ones that I'm a little bit more concerned about, um, I I think also the the conservation program, there's uh, big differences in that between the House and the Senate version. Um, That concerns me because that's a a program that's been very helpful environmentally and for our farmers. So, you know, the House version um, actually eliminates the conservation stewardship program and combines it with the Environmental Quality Incentive Program, the EQUIP program, and the Senate bill keeps them separate. And I I happen to think the Senate version is a little bit better. So um, those would just be a couple other examples of um, areas that we're going to have to work through.
0: The ranking member of the House Ag Committee, Mr. Peterson, suggested that instead of uh, offering amendments toward the House Language and Committee, you'd prefer to work with the Senate and working with Ms. Stabenow and others on the committee for final language. Is it safe to say that you support more of the Senate plan overall?
1: Yeah, I think most of the House Democrats do. Again, zeroing out, I, I don't think we talked about this, and I'd like to go into a little bit of detail on um, the fact that the House, House bill zeroes out the Rural Development Program, I mean, that's a big concern of mine as well. Um, what Colin Peterson is referring to is this is his fifth farm bill that he has been involved with, and he has been the lead Democrat on our committee for many years now. He uh, was the past chairman of the Ag Committee. Um, he is currently and has been for many years now the ranking member, and um, he says in the five farm bills that he's been associated with since he's been in Congress, he's never seen a process like this. And what he meant by that is the fact that one entire side of the aisle was closed out of the negotiation process. So I think that the fact that uh, Ranking Member Colin Peterson is saying that uh, we are going to be more inclined to go with the Senate version, it's it's because that ended up being a truly bipartisan bill. And um, it does, we think, less harm to families. And um, we think it also uh, has the best components that that. Look out for our family farmer as well. So I think that's what he's referring to as far as the fact that we, that there were no amendments that were offered, um, because of the closed door process on the house side.
0: Stepping away from this from about 30,000 feet, you would have to wonder, could a house plan that included the work requirement and can, and included Uh, an opportunity for more to receive benefits from farm programs could that pass the senate and then could the senate version that doesn't have the work requirement and has tighter payment limits on farmers could that actually pass the house because ultimately you need approval in both chambers
1: well, the uh, the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, along with the ranking member um, of the Senate Ag Committee, have both said they absolutely would not pass the House version. It would not be able to pass the Senate. They they are on record saying that. Um, and as far as the Senate version being able to pass the House, I don't know. That's for Chairman Conaway to, to figure out. Um, again, Colin Peterson, our, our lead Democrat on the committee, um says that uh, that's the version that that um, he favors and he would um he would counsel the democrats on the committee and in the uh, democratic caucus to be supportive of that and uh, you know obviously that's not going to be the final version anyway we that's why we're going to conference we're trying to figure out these differences but um but the uh again the, the chairman of the senate ag committee and the ranking member are both on record saying the house bill absolutely would not pass in the senate so i think that's a A pretty good sign that there's a problem with it
0: shifting to matters of trade this administration is holding a hard line to trading partners that they see are unfair toward u.s. industry u.s. manufacturing u.s. agriculture do you agree with the president's efforts and tariffs and 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 what are your thoughts regarding results how long can this go on without having a a direct impact on your constituents in your district
1: i think it's already having a direct impact do I agree with it? Absolutely not. You know, I, I spoke to about 500 corn growers who were out in Washington um, a few weeks ago. I talked about the tariffs and being on the verge of this trade war and how it is entirely self-induced. And um, this gentleman from Minnesota stood up and said, well, what would you do? Uh, China steals our intellectual property. Um, and, you know, this message that... Um, Donald Trump is the ultimate deal maker, and that uh, things will work out in the end. And I, I, my answer to that is that we do need to deal with the theft of our intellectual property that China has been known to do for many, many years. But how you do that is you partner with your allies. And, um, you know, the European Union, they've been victims of the theft of intellectual property just like Americans have. So if I were in a position to, to get this figured out, I certainly would have started there by just uh, working with our allies. However, um, President Trump has had this tendency to make our, you know, one day call our allies our foes and, and then go back to them and act like they're our friends for a little while. And it, I, the, the biggest problem, now I, I guess we have many problems, but among the biggest problems is the fact that we don't know from one day to the next um, what tweet is going to be coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We don't know what unilateral decision that uh, he's going to make. And, um, you know, we've got a 25% tariff on steel, a 10% tariff on aluminum. Um, we've got our, our best and biggest agricultural trading partners of Canada and Mexico. There's all kinds of uncertainty there. We'll have China that will start doing business and is starting to do business increasingly with Brazil and Argentina and if those relationships take hold, we'll be out of luck. So the president may have one day in his life been a deal maker, at least in his own mind. But um, the deals that he's making right now, I think, are hurting our family farmers. We're not too far off from harvest. And, um, you know, I, I hope in the end that um, people, our, our family farmers aren't going to be hurt in a lasting way. Um, I find the irony of the $12 billion bailout that, you know, I, I said on the, the day that this happened is it's like it's like a Boy Scout starting a, a fire and uh, then getting a, a little Dixie cup full of water to, to put it out and asking for a merit badge for it. But, you know, he, the president has has started this um, and then he's acting like he's a, he's a hero by having this 12 billion dollar bailout. The the farmers I talk to, they all want to expand markets. They're not looking for a handout. But of course we've got to make sure that their, you know, their farms aren't going to go under as a result of this crazy trade policy.
0: There may still be an attempt at immigration reform in the lower chamber. Is the lack of immigration reform policy affecting your district and what are your hopes for legislation?
1: Well, my hopes for legislation are that we have a change in leadership after the November election, that we legitimately compromise in a bipartisan fashion. With comprehensive immigration reform. Look, I'm all in favor, as are most Democrats, despite what some reporting is out there, for to make sure that we have a strong border and make sure that our country is safe. You know, our, our number one responsibility as members of Congress is to make sure our country is safe and make sure that um, our citizens are safe. So do we need to have strong border security? Of course we do. But let's do it in a way that makes sense, that is part of comprehensive immigration reform. You know, people who are in our country who are making an attempt to work, I think we ought to have a path to citizenship. But I also think they ought to have to get to the back of the line, pay a fine. And I think where we have unscrupulous uh, business owners who are taking advantage of the situation, they ought to be held to account as well. But we are not having legitimate debates about immigration reform. This build the wall and now the president claiming he's willing to shut down the government over it. I guess I would remind people that as candidate Trump, he talked about that wall uh, relentlessly. We understand that, but I don't know what happened to his plan to have Mexico pay for it. Now, all of a sudden, you know, American tax dollars are going to have to pay for this so-called wall, and he's going to shut down the government over that. So, again, it's just another example of you don't know from one day to the next what is going to happen from a policy perspective. And it's just I, I think there's just this severe fatigue over the lack of getting things done in Washington because of the outrage of the day, because of people beating up each other. You know, it's time to get the nation's work done. And I think the way we're going to do that is we're going to have a whole new batch of members of Congress coming in after November. And And I think the candidates who I know who are running, especially in the Midwest, are good, practical people. They don't have a deep background in government. They're business people. They're veterans uh just people with everyday life experiences who I think will come into Washington and understand the importance of getting the nation's work done.
0: Congresswoman Bustos, we want to thank you so much for a busy uh, political season back in your district and still taking time for us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word.
1: Well, I just want to say to your listeners that um, I, I think as we look ahead – let's make sure that we find a way to to work together and i think the name calling is frankly out of control on um, just all over the place whether you watch fox news or whether whether you watch msnbc or cnn i think if we make a decision to have civil dialogue and talk about real issues and and study the issues as opposed to these broad statements you know such as things like build the wall and um you know, the, the things that if, if you drill down, there's just there's got to be so much more to those kind of issues. And uh, you now that I, I try very hard to study each and every issue that I take votes on. And um, we're, we're we're not in a good place right now. Politically, our country uh, needs to find a way to work together to look for ways to unite us instead of divide us. And and I hope to play a part in um, the uniting part of it.
0: Our thanks to Illinois 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.